Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. For a salon owner, finding great team members is a priority. The problem is it can feel a little bit tricky to find the right person, let alone ensure that that person actually sticks around and becomes a superstar team member for the long run. This is why I believe looking after your team and building a winning team culture should be as much of a priority as hiring in the first place. You just simply can't expect everyone you hire to be a jack of all trades and become a superstar. You need to offer them more than just an hourly rate. Now put yourself in their shoes. What do they get out of being your employee versus working somewhere else? It can sometimes feel like employees are there for a good time, not a long time, but rest assured, it doesn't have to be the case. Now take it from me, when I had my salon, I had employees that were there for 15 and one even 18 years. One actually outlived me in my own salon. Now the secret is supporting my team to be the best that they can be for themselves. So this is why I'm excited to introduce you to Angela Loria. Now, Angela is an absolute master when it comes to hiring people uh, who will support your vision and stick with you through years and years to come. Angela is a successful author of Make and Beg to Work for You. It's the perfect read if you're looking to better optimize your salon hiring process and be a better motivator for your team. Today, Angela will be revealing some of her award-winning secrets, showing you how to build a team that supports the end game of your salon. All right, let's get started. You're going to love her. I adore this woman. Let's meet Angela. Angela, I'm so pleased to have you on the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to be here. We're going to have a blast. Now, we found each other because I read your most amazing book. Uh, it was so amazing that I passed it on to my operations manager and made her read it, which she did in about two sittings flat. So I thought we must have you on the podcast and chat about all of the things that are happening in the world. But let's start with this. Why don't you tell us uh, who are you? What do you do? How did you get to be doing that? And I guess where are you in the world? Yes, well, I'm in Washington, D.C., and the book you're referencing is my book, Make and Beg to Hire You, which is kind of funny because it's not actually what I do. I'm the founder and the CEO of The Author Incubator, and we help experts write books that generate leads for their business. And we were so good at this that about 25% of my authors started needing to hire. So they started asking me, how did you hire? Like my book is so successful. I have so many leads. I need a salesperson. I have so many leads. I need to hire some coaches. I have so many leads. I need to hire someone to actually collect payments from them and do bookkeeping. And so I kept getting asked all these hiring questions and I didn't know that part of our success at the author incubator with clients, helping them get books done 
was actually based on my hiring strategy. Um, I knew I had an awesome team. Every client I've ever had, I, they come for me and then they always leave saying, like, I came thinking it was about you, but your team is amazing. I would always hear, your team is amazing. Your team is amazing. Which always just seemed like a nice compliment. But I guess I didn't know what I didn't know. So this book, Make and Beg to Work for You, is uh, uh, by special request from my clients, my most successful clients who were like, tell us how you built this amazing team. And it was hard to write in that. I know about writing books. I've written lots of books on how to write books. Um, I know about writing books. I didn't know what I knew. You know how, like if you were trying to describe how to cut hair, you're like, you cut it. I don't even know what I know. I've been doing it so long. So I didn't really know what I knew. The book challenged me to write it um, because there were places where I was inconsistent with my hiring. And once I wrote it down, uh, this is really the stuff I did that worked. So there was a lot I did that didn't work. And I do <laughs> capture some of that in here as well. So, uh, so yeah, that's a little, that's a little bit about me and how I came to accidentally share. I will not say I am a hiring expert, but I do think I have some very painfully hard won expertise around hiring. So I'm excited to talk about that today. Me too. And uh, I have to say that, you know, for being in completely different industries and uh, businesses, I was pleasantly surprised multiple times when I just thought to myself, oh, this girl is speaking my language. I know exactly what you're saying. Or you just you just hit the nail on the head and it resonated so much despite our uh, different industries. So I thought, right, I have to have you and talk about I've this. heard that in multiple <laughs> industries and I, I definitely did not know that writing it. I've almost learned more from writing, from after writing the book, because I really thought I was capturing what happened to me. I don't, you know, what I teach people is how to write a book and then sell something related to the book. So if you coach salon owners, you'd write a book about coaching salon owners, and then you would go coach salon owners. I don't have a hiring program. I don't, I don't do any coaching in this area. And the number of people from different industries, and here's what's interesting. One of the chapters in my book, and I, like, hopefully if you have kids in the car, cover their ears. One of the chapters in my book is called Ending Dick-Centric uh, Management Techniques. There is a lot of uh, feminist hype in this book. I really wrote it for women. I do know there are a lot of women in your industry, but men love this book. And I'm, I'm so surprised because I think one of the problems with hiring, and we'll get into it, but I think this is just a good mindset shift. Almost everything you know about hiring through osmosis, through the ways you've been hired, was taught to men by men. And it's just like everything we know about medicine was men studying men. You know, all the heart attack studies were all done on, you know, white men in their 40s. Mm. Like, almost everything in business management has been written by men. And then it was passed on by men to men. And then eventually it got passed on to women and there's some women teaching it, but they are very, I call them Dick centric. This is not anti-men. I love men. I gave birth to one of them. Um, but <laughs> there's so much patriarchy that's in that, um, 
what do they call it? The unconscious bias mm. that we're doing to ourselves. Like we're, we're replicating the virus now of the patriarchy. And so it's very hard to see. One of the things about masculine leadership is it's all about right and wrong on and off, right? That's the whole thing. And and, and the feminine, I won't say women, but I will say the feminine is more about a gray area and fluidity. It's why um, Shakespeare says, frailty, thy name is woman. What he's talking about in that scene is specifically men, the word testify comes from the word testes. Men can be trusted because they're true, false, on, off, black, and white. And we've got the brain scans now that show there's less cross-wiring between brain hemispheres. And women are like that, but also this and a little bit of this. And Shakespeare is like, you're driving me fucking crazy. Can you just pick a side? And we're like, yeah, not really. <laughs> that the rise of the feminine, which is what we're seeing happening, is nowhere in the management books. It's nowhere, it's not, I swear to God, my book is the only one that addresses it. And men, as much as women have been grateful for this book as just, even if you don't agree with everything in it, a new way to think about hiring because we're all just doing the same thing over and over again and it's clearly not working. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. So take me into this kind of, uh, this concept of making them big, to work for you because I think that's a mind shift in itself right and certainly in this industry where we feel like there's lack of available candidates to actually flip it and say no hang on I'm the prize here mm -hmm. um so I want you to think about, talk about this a beautiful this. flower let's just say it's like a beautiful there's a daisy in the background so we'll go with a beautiful daisy and the daisy is just there being beautiful and a bee comes along and a bee's like, I will pollinate you. Now the daisy doesn't have to convince the bee. The daisy doesn't chase the bee around the backyard. The daisy isn't like, please pollinate me. Cause that would be like, not a good look in weird. a daisy. <laughs> right, it would just be weird. The daisy focuses on being gorgeous. And that is, the feminine being attractive. That's why we like wear our lipstick, although I'm not wearing any today, but I'll wear bright pink. That's why we wear bright pink and sparkly jewelry. And that's what we want to attract. Now, we don't only need to attract. I'm not saying you're just going to sit there and be beautiful and amazing candidates will come by. But a big piece of the puzzle that gets left out in all the management is the management books, the techniques you have are all about how to be the bee. You're gonna fly in there. You're gonna look for a daisy. You're gonna go straight into the pollen. Go grab that pollen, suck it out and let's go. Which is great, but there's no attention to the flower. So what I talk about is being the prize. And so I wrote another book called um, uh, uh, Make and Beg to Publish Your Book. And the answer, I'll save you from reading the 40,000 words. The answer is be awesome. People will beg to publish your book when you're awesome. And people will beg to work for you when you're awesome. And we don't spend time, we're so busy chasing candidates, begging people, running around the backyard saying, pollinate me, pollinate me, that we don't take the time, which is not that much time, 
to say, how can I be a more beautiful flower that should be be in the vicinity? They would be interested in pollinating. So you're still going to, we're still going to put out job, you know, want ads. We're still going to have a sign in the window that says we're hiring. We're still going to look at, we're going to do interviews. We're not doing nothing, but we are going to take a step back in a minute that says, what makes me attractive? I talk in the book, uh, weirdly, about um, Hegel's master-slave dialectic. A lot of hiring is based on the old feudal systems where like I'm the slave owner or I'm the indentured servant owner and you work for me. And listen, if you're listening to this senior salon owner, you're probably doing this. Somewhere in the back of your head, old programming, they're not even your tapes. It's just like collective unconscious. It's like, I pay the rent here. I pay the electricity bill. When this toilet overflows, you know who plums it? Me. Like I'm the one with the plunger. I'm the one calling the plumber. You know, when the alarm goes off, you know who they call? It's not one of the stylists. They're calling me. And so I'm the master and these are my slaves. Obviously we don't think of it that way and we want to create a nice work environment. But the idea, this master-slave dialectic is like infused in everything. And one of the things I noticed with our employees is they were very afraid of being fired. They made most of their decisions around the fear of being fired. And I'm thinking like, you think I'm going to fire you? Do you have any idea who has more problems if I fire you? Yeah. But that mindset is in their heads too. This like the boss has the power. I don't have the power. I need collective bargaining unions. That is shifting. There mm -hmm. is a massive global switch. I credit in my book millennials for that. So if you've ever complained about millennial employees being entitled, I like to remind people what they're entitled to. They're entitled. This is what they feel totally entitled to. They feel entitled to loving their job. They feel entitled Yay. not to spend 40 hours on something they hate. Uh, may we all be so entitled. And sure. that's what's happening. That switch is happening. So if everyone on the planet at once, which is basically what's happening right now, decides I'm just not willing to be miserable at my job, well, what changes that master-slave dialectic? Now we have a partnership. You happen to be the one that pays the rent and I happen to be the one that cuts the hair, but we're actually just two equals, like a male and a female in a relationship, bringing our own gifts to the table. You pick those gifts, I got these gifts. And we have to treat each other more like grown ass adults instead of infantilizing workers, which just isn't flying anymore. No, I absolutely agree. And I think this is the mind shift, but I love how you said it. It's uh, an agreed relationship. And two parties come together to, to play different roles in, in the scene. Yeah, much mm -hmm. nicer. Hey, I just wanted to pop in to tell you something. Don't worry, we're gonna get back to this awesome episode in just a second. Now, if this sounds like you, listen up. You have a team, you love your team, but you're sick of wondering why and wishing your team would make their sales targets. You want them to be smashing sales because it shows that they're actually looking after their clients really well. 
Like imagine if you could have a way to make more from the clients that you already have, increase sales without spending more on advertising. Well, it's totally possible and I want to help you. And I want to help you do it with ease, in a classy way. No hard and dirty sales tricks here. Ways to serve your clients, make more, because everybody wins. The team, the client, and of course, you, the business owner. Now, if you want to find out more, just DM me uh, and let's chat. I'll make a plan for you. I'm also going to leave a link for you on the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get back to the episode. I want to turn to the industry shift or the world shift in a moment. But before we do that, um, let's talk about employing the right people, because I feel like at the root of everything, every employment challenge Maybe we made a mistake a little bit further back in the journey. Maybe we just employed the wrong person. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, one chapter of my book is called "If You Only Read the, If You Only Read One Chapter, Read This One," <laughs> and it is about finding the right people. Um, the way we normally think about hiring is: I have this need. Let's say I have an empty chair and I need someone to cut hair. I have this need, I have this job to fill, and I want someone, anyone who can do it to do this job. So we're testing people on, can you cut hair? Or I need someone to color hair, can you color hair? I need someone to wash hair, can you wash hair? So we're testing them on that skill. And what we think is, you know, assuming we like their personality, we don't want someone who you know, we think is a big jerk when we meet them, but assuming they're friendly enough, if they're friendly and they can do the task and they agree to the price we can pay, we have a match. That seems so logical. I wish it worked. I, do, I, do, I would give anything for it to be that simple. But what I find is what you have to look for, I think it's Dan Pink who talks about intrinsic motivation. So we have to have this base level of, I can't hire someone to cut hair who doesn't know how to cut hair. They have to have a license. They have all those things, right? There's this base level requirement. That's almost like 10% of it. That's like, I just consider it tables. I'm not even going to interview you if you don't. I don't even need you. I don't need you to do a practice cut. I don't need anything. Like, I got to know you can cut hair. That's the basic. But there's another test. And I, this is not very elegant, but I call it the win-win. I have to know what is motivating them other than money. So assuming money fell from the sky, we all have UBI, universal basic income, whatever. There's money falling from the sky. Money's not an issue. Why would they do this job for you other than money? Now, most entrepreneurs can't answer that question. They're like, because I'm paying them, maybe, maybe they'll come up with because I'm in their neighbor because it's a short commute. And a short commute could be part of a reason if you understood what was going on there. But the real thing about finding the right people for your organization is, first of all, you have to have a reason, something of what you stand for, who you are, how you're there. Maybe it's we do cute, funky, short hair and nothing else. 
Like that's what we do. You want cute, funky, short hair. We do amazing balayage and state of the art colors. Like you got to have a thing so that the employees would be like, oh yeah, I love doing short hair. That's where I want to work. Oh, I love doing amazing colors. That's where I want to work. You have to have a thing that makes you the beautiful daisy that they will want to pollinate. And you have to understand what is going on in their life beyond this skill set. So I, I think it's um, Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn talks about doing uh, work as a tour of duty. So when I'm doing interviews, what I like to talk to people about is like, if, if this was a great decision, working here was a great decision, how long did you work here? And when did you resign and why? What did you go to do? And ask people in the interview to tell you how they left your company. And it's very interesting. Like people told, like one girl told me, my boyfriend and I have been saving up to, we wanna travel Asia. We wanna live in Asia for a year. And so in two years, we think we'll have enough money to travel Asia. Uh, another girl told me in five years, I really want to be in a relationship and be pregnant and I want to be a stay at home mom. So in five years, I'm pregnant and I resign when I'm four months pregnant and we have a big party. I'm like, I'm going to throw the party. And then I have one woman who works for me. Her name is Carmi. She's amazing. Day I hired her, she told me, I don't know why you're asking this because I'm working with you till you die. <laughs> she's saying I'm going to be planning the funeral so just get used to me I think Love she it. she is still very committed to that idea we're like soulmates so you will occasionally find someone who is like a lifer but most people are doing a tour of duty yeah and that they're not indentured servants we don't have to pretend it's Toyota and you're going to work there for 30 years and it doesn't mean, you know, maybe they stay, maybe they leave sooner. You don't have to hold them to this fantasy. But if you can understand what they're trying to create, savings for a beach house, like what are they trying to build? Then you're supporting them as a whole person. Again, that's the feminine leadership, the whole person, rather than the transactional, you cut hair, I pay you, which is like this caveman binary kind of relationship with employees I actually find that as an employer really freeing to know why they're here other than just getting paid because when you're being served I feel good and I don't have to uh, show up and make it a great experience for you and feel sort of you know please stay I hope you like it here yeah. do you know and actually be super clear on what's in it for them mm -hmm. um, I think that it brings a lot to the table for both sides of the party, actually. Yep, exactly. And that, for me, still to this day, requires a lot of, um, I don't know, maybe it's entitlement, but like releasing my expectations about how employees should treat me. Because I do think they should grovel a little at the foot of the queen and say, thank you so much for the pennies that are falling from your coins, from your, you know, coin pouch. I, I don't think this, but somewhere in my psyche, I do. And so every time I do something like, you know, sign up for another benefits program, or I just gave everybody a couple hundred dollar technology bonus, or every time I, I do that, I'm like, 
where's the just feel free to you know wave the fan at me send the thank you cards <laughs> singing telegrams are welcome and it's it's actually just you doing your job yeah they don't yeah. they don't actually owe anything to you because you pay them they're giving them your time they're giving you their time and it's, their life yeah. And it's more than a fair trade. Money alone isn't enough to make for your time. Everybody says that, right? Like there's no greater resource than time, but then we expect people to be happy with 15, 20, 30, 40 hours, $40 an hour for their time. And people are like, nope. Yeah. Yeah. I think also um, this tour of duty is a really interesting concept because uh well, I know for me anyway, in the early days of building my business, you know, I was always striving towards when I get my perfect team and when I've learned how to employ people or when I build enough people and, and that's when it will be perfect. And mm. at some point I realized that actually I'll never reach the perfect team. Actually, someone's always coming and someone's always going. There's this transitional period. I have them for a good time, not a long time. Every yep. now and then there'll be a lifer. I had a couple of lifers a couple that stayed in the business longer than I did. Um, yeah. And that's the bonus. But actually, most people are coming in. They're going to have a good time. They'll do their piece. They'll serve their tour of duty, and then they'll be off to the next part of their life. Listen, and we imagine, need to make space for that. Right. Imagine West Side Story, if the same woman, we'll call her Natalie <laughs> Wood, played Maria for 50 years. It's yeah, not a wow. good play. No, <laughs> Natalie Wood cannot be Maria at 64 and Cheetah Rivera. Well, Cheetah Rivera can still be Anita. I think she can do whatever she wants, but like, you know, it's a cast. I think of it like a cast. There's going to be it. people who come in and go out. And sometimes you have an injury and sometimes you just get called up to another show. And sometimes you just like keep dropping lines and you're like doing too much cocaine in the bathroom and it's just not going to work because too many people are covering for you. It's just a cast. Yeah. But if you've ever done a show you love your old cast, even if they left because they were doing bumps of coke in between scenes. Like you love your old, you're like, oh, didn't we do, we did a show together in 2011. We did that. That was so great. I love doing that show with you. Do you, have you heard yeah. what happened to Johnny? Like, yeah, yeah. so it's a wonderful thing. It's not a bad thing that people leave. It's, it's a wonderful thing that they were part of the cast and now it doesn't make sense for them to be in the cast. Yeah. Yeah. So. I love that analogy. This really is the best one completely. Um, right. Let's talk about um, babies, dead babies, and then keeping babies, babies alive. Yeah. We don't like dead babies. Uh, we like no. babies that are alive and kicking. Um, we have adopted the baby's language into Salon Owners Collective. So I would love to <laughs> introduce us to your babies. <laughs> introduce us to your babies. Well, as a business owner, I swear to God, they need to do brain scans on us. We do so much. We really were thinking about scheduling. We're thinking about locksmiths. We're thinking about alarm companies. We're thinking about sweeping the floor. We're thinking about ordering furniture, furniture delays. We're thinking about how to get more clients, marketing. Then some of us are still cutting hair. Some of us are, we're trainers for our staff. We're hiring, we're HR experts. Unfortunately for us, most human brains don't work that way. Mm. 
there is something that makes you a business owner, like bless your heart. I'm in the crazy club too. But most people can do with their brains a lot less than we can. Most people want structure. They want to come in. They want to do their job. They want to feel like they know how to win. And they would like to, let's say, at least 80% of the time win. Now, business owners, we know we lose at least 50% of the time because there's always <laughs> another fire. <laughs> but employees people that are working for you, the reason they don't have the upside potential, they're not going to sell their job the way we can sell our businesses. They don't have the earning potential that we do is because they want to do less and not even want to, maybe it's just what their brain is capable or interested in doing or whatever. They want to do less and they want to do it well they want to feel like they earned their money. No one's, for the most part, no one's trying to cheat you every once in a while, but it's very rare. Most people want to work hard, make money, feel good about how they make money. But we throw too much at them. It doesn't seem like it. We're like, you literally, you can't organize the accessories drawer. Like you can't also check out the checkout counter. You can't also check in people. You can't also clean up the break room. You can't also, like we add all these little things, just do a quick load of laundry, do this, do that. And so to us, it just seems like you're doing a 10th of what I did. I literally asked you to do a load of laundry, really? But to them, the word they will often use is like overwhelmed. Be like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed by all of this coming at me. Because that is what it feels like if you have chosen to be an employee. So what I do with my team is I hire people for much smaller roles. Even if you're only hiring them part-time, let's say you have laundry at your salon and you might only need an hour a day or two hours a day of work. I would hire someone just to do that. So I have very discreet job. I have more discreet jobs and less Jill of all trades. And each person has what I call three. It's usually three. Sometimes it's five, but three to five, what I call babies that we do not want to die. Like these are your babies, guard them with your life. I think of it like that home economics project in some High schools, they'll send you home oh, yeah. with like an egg and you can't break yeah, yeah. the egg for a week. <laughs> this is your fragile little baby. And to me, it's something small. Like one of our um, employees, Jasmine, is in charge of new client orientations. And she has to make sure that a new client within one business day has received a personal orientation. And that's like her baby. And if that doesn't happen, she knows she let the baby die. So if I ask her to do a load of laundry, if I ask her to make a quick flyer, if I ask her to sort a spreadsheet for a marketing campaign, she can do that as long as the baby's not going to die. Because mm -hmm. if you were a mom and you had a baby and somebody asked you to sort their spreadsheet or do laundry, you would do it, but not if your baby was going to die. So each of my employees gets three babies and it's not enough for me. I think everyone should have at least 58 babies, but they just the get owner. three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're the owner, um, but they get three 
and we train them over three months. They learn one baby a month for three months and anything else that they get asked to do is extra and it's bonus. I, it's not expected. It's like seen as a favor. I might even pay them extra for it or give them a Starbucks gift card or something for it. Their job is to keep their babies alive. And it's all part of an overarching philosophy of when I said the prize never chases, that's part of what will make people want to work for you. I, when I said the secret is being awesome, that's part of what's being awesome. Because when people complain about toxic bosses, what they usually mean is bosses who expect them to act like an entrepreneur and they have no idea how to meet those expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it makes me think of kind of like we're, we're flipping the role of the owner or the manager um, to not be a, uh, not to have direct reports, people that report to you and must do a job, but to be direct supports. Like let's get in behind our people and support them to win. You were saying we need them to win 80% of the time. So give them mm -hmm. less, make them win often and yes. let them have an awesome time in, in the business. Yeah. It's very depressing because it's much more expensive than what it should be in our heads. Like, I remember really wanting to hire a mini me. I'm like, maybe you've said this. I just need to clone myself. I had we'll to give up. <laughs> yeah, I had to give up that. That's like the sad part of this is like, you have to release the fit. You're not going to clone yourself because mm. listen, if there was a clone of you, you know what she would do? She would go start a fucking business. Mm. That, that's the news flat. Your clone does not want to work for you. She just started a new business. She's very busy. She's <laughs> selling lingerie. Why don't you go buy a bra? Like, <laughs> so yeah. that's the thing. We can't have many means, but we can have kick-ass employees that will be so loyal and dedicated my employees work more than 40 hours and they do more than their baby stylist because they don't have to. Mm. Yeah. It's, like I think a, it's quite fundamental, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but when I start hearing like I'm overwhelmed, no one's really overwhelmed. What it means is I don't know how to win. That's oh, the conversation that. to have yeah yeah they're just they're feeling crappy they're feeling like they go to work and they don't do a great job and then they go back the other the next day and they feel like they're on a hamster wheel and there's no way to end it that's mm. what overwhelmed means it doesn't mean too much work it means non-clarity of what it takes to win it, it feels like an unwinnable race so i'm getting so out so then our role is to come in, if we go back to the baby analogy, is to come in and, and be the fairy godmother or to be the, the, the grandmother and come in and help the mum look after the baby. Like this is our yep. role, right? As the owner. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're, our job is to be like, you know, I remember when I had my son and my mom, every time she would come over, she would come over with something, coffee cake. Once she came over with a TV, because we didn't have a TV, <laughs> came over with a box of Pampers, she'd come over with something. And like, that's your job is to just like, what can you get? We go to our employees with a, what can I get mentality? Because we're like, I'm giving you $25 an hour. What do I get? 
You gotta find a way to give that up. Yeah. It doesn't work. If it worked, I would say, keep it. Maybe it worked at one point in that patriarchal, I'm the Lord and you're the, I don't know, surf world, but it doesn't work anymore. So you can keep trying it. You could be righteous about it, but I'm paying them. They should be subordinate. Good luck. Yeah. Send me a Good letter when it works. <laughs> Almost well, every look- management book will tell you to do that and how to do it. So my book is the only one that's going to tell you not to do it, but I just, I do not find it effective any longer. No, that's right. Well, this is a good segue into kind of like the changing environment um, of uh, this new emergence of what people expect and how they want to live their life. And I know there's this sort of ripple effect that's really starting to, and probably has been sped up by COVID. Like it was probably already happening I call it the lifestyle effect. Um, People are starting to want and expect different things from their lives. And I think COVID came in and gave us a bit of a slap on the face and people have suddenly woken up and gone, oh, oh, that's right. Uh, I only get one life. Mm -hmm. Um, And what am I going to do with it? Because it might not be here tomorrow. Like life is fragile and short. And I see this playing out in the expectation that employees are putting on their employers on how they want to work differently as they than they did two years ago but you actually had something really interesting to share about what's happening in the north side of the world um around uh people just not wanting to work at all talk to me (laughs) yeah so at least right now in the united states and uh you know a lot of times what happens here will trickle out so i Keep, keep an eye out. Um, but what we're seeing is called the great um, resignation, great resignation. And it is particularly hitting any businesses that are dealing with face-to-face with customers. So service-oriented businesses. So restaurants, hotels, tourism, salons, uh, bars, travel, anything where you're dealing with people. What we're seeing at nurses, of employees are resigning, either have resigned or will resign in this calendar year. Last month alone, we had 4% resign. And they are not resigning with other jobs. They are not resigning to start businesses. They're not even resigning to go back to school. This is what they're resigning to do. I'm going to take a couple months off and figure it out. But I know I'm done with that. I'm not going to work nights. I'm not going to work weekends. I'm not going to be yelled at by customers. Like all these service industry, I guess everyone's going to be a real estate agent and work nights and weekends there. But uh, (laughs) because I don't hear about the real estate agents resigning right now. They seem very, very happy. But but they're they're saying that uh, people are cranky, bosses are cranky, st- empl- um, client customers are cranky, and they're cranky. And they're like, I'm not going to get yelled at all day. I'm not going to give up my nights and weekends. There was a period of lockdown where I didn't have to work nights and weekends. And I remembered what it was like to go to bed at 10 o'clock, not covered in little bits of hair. Um, and they are saying, we're done. And the way it was described, I was reading a New York Times article this morning, the way it was described is it's like the whole country 
has joined a union and is in labor labor negotiations. Like all employees are in labor negotiations with all employers simultaneously at once. And I, you know, at first I thought everyone was leaving to start a business, I guess, cause I'm a business owner. So that's what I thought everyone would do. Mm -mm, nope, they don't want to start businesses. That's not, that's not it at all. They don't want to start business. They don't want to go back to school. They don't even necessarily want to stop cutting hair or being a waitress. They want the conditions to be better. They want to make more money. They want fewer expectations on them and they want to be treated more nicely. And I'm going to tell you one of the ways that's going to shake out is prices are going up. Yeah. Everyone needs to think about raising their prices right now because part of it is going to be paying higher wages. Wages have not kept pace and it's just something major is happening. And the key to staying ahead of this is really listening to what makes this job a win. And if there are issues with your, um, with your customer base, like finding a way to fix those issues and sometimes charging more will do that. You get fewer customers, but they're a little less challenging. Um, having better boundaries, having different protocols, all of that, we have to be willing to renegotiate to keep amazing staff members. So this is our I, it's a very interesting time. I think it's what I predicted in my book. I just didn't think it would happen quite like the earthquake that's happening right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's a good opportunity or invitation for us to spend a little bit more time at being awesome and yeah. being the best uh, Daisy <laughs> that we can be. Uh, so those people do want to come and enjoy their time that they're with us. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big time of reflection. And if you can, and go back to my theater metaphor for a minute, but if you can do that work of putting yourself in the shoes of the prospective employee or even an existing employee, and you can really imagine like their life, their kid, their partner, their two bedroom apartment, like really picture their life. If you can get into character as an employee or as a prospect and really see what's happening, it can help you get in front of who you want to be. And, you know, we see so many, uh, so many things shifting in society, so, you know, politically, the healthcare system, education. There's so many systems that are breaking down. Where people are gravitating is where there is clarity and leadership. And you don't have to understand everything. You don't have to understand COVID. You don't have to understand politics, but you do have to understand what are you doing at your business? And if the answer is making as much money as I can, that will be reflected in the quality of candidates. I'm making as much money as I can too, but you got to think deeper than that. More is required of you. You're asked, you're being asked to level up. So, you know, Simon Sinek talks about the start with why. 
if you don't have a good personal origin story, if you don't have a clear why you're doing this, if you're not aligned with an environmental cause or something, some place where you're giving back in your organization, if you haven't thought through that stuff, because you're like, I'm going to think through that once I, you know, even out my revenue or what, mm -mm, that is what's going to even out your revenue. You be clear on who you are and you will attract the right bees to pollinate your flower. But if you're meh, you're just, you're, you're not attractive enough anymore. Meh isn't cutting it. So no pun intended. I think that is a really good uh, segue to say uh, what you're being a business owner. Uh, what is a quote or a mantra or something that you kind of keep? Um, I feel like I feel like meh isn't cutting it anymore is a really good quote <laughs> or mantra. It is true. To follow. <laughs> I'll tell you the one. I said it already on here, but this is really the thing that helps me the most. When things are hard, which is just part of the journey of entrepreneurship, but when it feels like two, three, four, five things are just like hitting the fan all at once, what I ask myself is how can I do less better? What can I drop? What can I cut? What can I shut down? So like, it might be, you might think like, we have to do color. I would lose my best clients if we didn't do color. Like we have to do color. But if you actually look at your revenue, color's 20% of your revenue and 80% of your problems, refunds, complaints, unhappy clients, negative Yelp reviews, just stop doing color. Will you lose two or three of your best clients? Sure, it's all gonna work out. If you can do less, but do what you do better, the results will be much better. And 80% of your headaches are coming from 20% of things that you can just drop. It doesn't feel like you can. It feels like the world will end. Mm. It won't. Mm. Do less better. I love and adore that. All right. Um, I know people are going to want to read your book. Uh, I highly recommend it. Where can we find it? Um, what's your dub dub? And uh, where can people yes. talk to you? So I'm going to let you get all my books for free and stalk me at the same time. So the author incubator is my website. It's, it's tricky because it has a trick article, T-H-E, at the beginning. So it's the author incubator, three words, dot com. And then if you go slash free books, the author incubator dot com slash free books, you can get this book, Make Them Beg to Work for You, that we talked about today as well as my advice on how to write a book, how to build a business with a book and all that other good stuff, make and beg to publish your book. All of my books are right there on that page for free, for yours, for the taking. While you're there, you can check out all the other good stuff. Our social media links are there and all that good stuff. Amazing. Angela, thank you so much for your unexpected words of wisdom. Um, I just love the way that you deliver it. I think it really just resonates and it's like, oh yeah, I get it. It's great. So I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Good luck, everyone. And that's a wrap. Angela, thank you so much for your words of wisdom today. I always love the way that you say things. Speaks to me directly like 
would definitely speak in the same language. That was my experience when I was reading your book. I was like, I, I get this woman. She speaks my language. I've got to have her on the episode. Uh, your book definitely has inspired me in all areas of my business. Um, and I hope it resonates with you guys as well. I know totally it will. Trust me, her book is magic. And if you are looking to grow your salon team and hire new rockstar team members, then I want to help you too. Now, in my Salon Mastery program, I offer done-for-you team ad script step-by-step masterclasses on how to optimize and nail your hiring process once and for all. So if you want to find out more, let's chat. I'm going to leave the link to do so in the show notes of this episode on www.salonownerscollective.com. As always, I look forward to connecting with you again, same time, same place on the podcast and ciao for now. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.